Welcome to Sonic's Flight, the podcast devoted to all things Sonics. Sonic's Flight is a monthly podcast discussing current events, news, and topics of interest to the Sonics community. We aim to entertain and educate builders and pilots of Sonic's aircraft designs, inspiring them to complete and operate their aircraft safely and efficiently. Welcome to Sonic's Flight. This is episode number 24, Taking the Plunge and Becoming a Builder. We're going to discuss the process of moving from an interested outsider to a full-fledged Sonics builder. Everyone starts off as a newbie in the home-built aircraft world, and that can be pretty intimidating. But there are a number of considerations that a, a person needs to be comfortable with and really kind of come to terms with before they're ready to commit. And we're going to talk about how, how a new builder goes through that process and ultimately commits to a project. My name is Jeff Schultz, builder and pilot of Sonic 604 and Sonic 1374. And joining me again are my co-hosts, my good flying buddies, John Gillis and Gary Motley. So, um, Colonel Gillis, uh, Colonel Motley, um, how are we doing today, gentlemen? <laughs> now, wait a minute. I don't believe I can uh, grant Mr. Motley, Mr. Motley, the colonel status because he was not at the meeting. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, I don't think attendance is mandatory. I, uh, I I think that his credentials speak for himself. Well, he is definitely qualified, but he has not done initiation. <laughs> you, you see, so. Tim, how they mistreat me all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, it's pretty funny. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> you know, you're supposed to be nice to the old guy, actually, you know. I'm just going to stay out of this. <laughs> we so missed you, Gary, at Oshkosh. Hey, Gary, don't don't, don't let John, te- don't let him kid you, because we were at SOS Brothers, and John was trying his hardest to pick up on those girls. He was using every trick that he thought he learned from you, and he got nowhere. So he totally shot down. He could not hold yeah, a candle to you. It's hard to te- teach the new guys anything. <laughs> yeah, but at least I have colonel status, and you are... <laughs> Well, ultimately, right. uh, we're going to have to kick this. He's we're going to have to kick this upstairs. In, he's in the auxiliary. Yeah, um, <laughs> I think uh, Colonel Farley ultimately is going to have to be the arbiter and decide this once and for all. Okay. All right. So, uh, John, how you doing today? I'm doing really good. Um, had a good weekend of aviation. Um, got my wife up in a sailplane, which is clearing my, uh, giving me clearance to to work on my own rating. Uh, she enjoyed it. Good. I'm working on my tailwheel or my uh, tow plane endorsement with an instructor from the flying club here. And so I'm going to be towing for the gliding club, and I'm gonna, I just joined it, and I'm going to be getting my own glider rating. Cool. And are they flying out of Kelly, or where are they flying out Right, of? Right here at Kelly. The Black Forest Soaring Association is out of here. Okay. And I, what they're telling me is that they're some of the world-class uh, – Competition soaring guys are are based out of here. So, yeah, people from my club talk about going out to the springs and uh, and, and meeting up with Black Forest and the academy people and all that. So, uh, yeah, I think there's some real talent right there at home. Yeah, and so uh, the instructors are really good. the The planes are extremely exotic. Uh, the trainers are you know are pretty good, but uh, you, you see some of the the guys who are, are competition guys are like, wow, you've got a lot of money in a plane that has no thrust. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, they've got the most reliable engines, you know, those will never let them down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they consistently fail. 
Right. <laughs> yeah, as soon as they pull that tow hook release. Yeah. All right. I guess I uh, I guess I should have done this uh, at the beginning, but John, uh, <laughs> everybody knows John Gillis. Uh, he flies his ni- nicely customized Jabiru powered YX from his air park home in Colorado. He has experience not only in his own entry into sport aviation several years ago, but uh, but helping others into the process, like uh, like our good buddy Mike, uh, who came back to GA after a little bit of a break, and uh, and Carl. And then the other voice, which uh, you guys all know, is Gary Motley. Gary's no stranger to building airplanes, having completed several airplanes and having owned a bunch of airplanes in his past. So, Gary, how are you doing? Oh, cut and bruised and bleeding and sore from continuing to work on these things, but loving every minute of it, I guess. Got to be getting close, huh? Yeah, yeah. It's lights in the tunnel. We can see it. When is the dark coming? Uh, I'm going to probably call him in a couple of weeks and get, get on the books. Oh, yeah, a couple of weeks. That's that's right around the corner. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, um, let me uh, introduce our guest, Tim Reed. Tim is a private pilot living on Long Island in New York, and uh, despite all the people in the area, there are not a lot of active Sonics builders or owners that he can reach out to. So he has uh, he's been going through this process himself. He recently ordered a Sonics B-model tail kit, and I think uh, just in the last week or two, ordered the fuselage kit to keep the building moving. So Tim, before we kick this off, how does it feel to write a big check for that next chunk of project? Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, it, it hurts. Um, but uh, it's exciting at the same time. You know, I mean, I, I've been doing it in steps uh, just because of the, the financing, um, kind of like financing as you go, uh, rather than building, uh, buying and building the whole kit at once. Um, just uh, it just works better for me and with the family and stuff. I have three young kids and uh, just doing it as I go. And it's actually a lot of fun. I'm uh, about 90% done with the tail. Just uh, I made a little error on the uh, the rudder, so I'm just waiting for the the uh, the control stock to come for that. But uh, you know, it's uh, it's just part of being a newbie, I guess. You know, we do the same thing even after having done it. So don't be worried about it. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely keep a scrap barrel because those are fun to go back to. Oh yes, yeah, I'm, I... I'm still using Sonics parts that I had from years ago, old pieces cutting them up and making new stuff <laughs> well you're definitely going back to the scrap barrel even oh, after you yeah. know four years after flying my plane i it's like oh i could use that part yeah <laughs> yeah i keep telling my wife uh, she keeps seeing all the the pieces of cut metal on the floor she's like uh you're saving all this stuff and i'm like yeah yeah I, i'll probably need it at some point so yeah just put it on the shelf that's a that's a law of home building if you throw something away like the next day you're going to need that exact part yep <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, good. Um, I, I was just thinking, um, you know, there's a certain anxiety that goes in, in committing and writing that big check. But I guess the real test is, you know, if you if you have that sense of buyer's remorse or you have that sense of anticipation, that really is kind of the gut check on whether you're, you're, you're you know, <laughs> you're comfortable with your decision or you're somewhat nervous still. Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of both because you look at the the account and you're like, oh crap, I just spent uh, you know ten grand on a fuselage kit. But um, at the at the other end of the spectrum, I'm sitting here, and I'm like, I can't wait for it to ship so I can get going on this. But uh, you know, it's it's a lot of fun, and you know, it's inc- it's fun including the kids in it too. So 
Yeah, I was going to say the same. I'm not sure you can separate them, especially in your first kit. Maybe not even the second or third kit. I think they kind of coexist all the time. <laughs> you have to get comfortable with that level of uncertainty. Yeah. yeah. yeah without a doubt. All right. Well, let's uh, let's do a couple of news items here. Um, so the, the first one from, from recent news, um, this one is kind of on the darker side. Uh, the NTSB just released their uh, their initial factual report. No, I'm sorry, the, not the initial report, the factual report of a 1X crash that happened in January of 2016 in Fresno, California. So just running through this real quickly. It, it was a brand new airplane. He only had just a little bit of time. I mean, a few hours at most. The plane was inspected on December 30th, and then the crash happened on January 10th. It's not clear how many flights he might have had, Probably not his very first flight, but definitely just a handful of flights. And apparently he had an engine failure at about 200 feet. Uh, he was maneuvering to land, had a hard landing, and uh, went in very steep, was, was injured in the crash, and uh, was actually taken to the hospital. And after several days in the hospital, he ultimately did not survive. So the, the thing here I think that's, that's worth talking about is that his particular AeroV had been modified to use the Force One hub and, and their crank. And so when he assembled his engine, the NTSB theorized that he did not assemble that crank into the case properly and that the oil galleys had been blocked by the dowel pin. The dowel pin did not go in the dowel pin hole in the case. It went into the oil galley and that starved the bearing of oil, causing the engine to seize. So... You guys, when when you read through the NTSB report, what things jumped out at you? Because I got a couple things on my mind, but I want to kick it over to you first. Gary, what did you see? Well, having done one of those Force One hubs, I can tell you that it it's not difficult to have that uh, hub rotated within there and not have those two holes lined up. You know, when I was reading the assembly manual that came from the Great Plains uh, company with it that Steve Bennett put out, I made I I just kept going over that myself and just made sure because obviously. Uh, that would that could result in some serious damage to you pretty quickly. I'm actually surprised that he would have gotten that many hours out of there. Um, the tolerances on that hub are really, really pretty close. So, you know, once that does seize up, if you have that rotated wrong, it's just a short matter of a short time before that, that whole engine is going to seize up on you. Yeah, and you're right. It could have only been a few minutes of runtime previous to that. It could have been the first time he really ran it hard. It could have been some ground run. Maybe that was his initial flight. The report didn't say that. I'm just theorizing that it had to be very shortly. Yeah, I would think so, too. I don't know how you could possibly have one misaligned and then put several hundred hours on it. Okay. Um, John, uh, what what jumps out at you? What do you think? Well, what jumps out at me is I think one of the problems that we have with the Sonics group is we have an engine that is amateur built instead of um, that, that, that's the most accepted engine on the airframe, um, instead of a crate built, uh, you know, but in a factory like the Jabiru or the UL or, uh, Rotax and, uh, build air like this, it just gives us all a really bad name or, uh, a reliability issue because, you know, the guy, he clearly screwed up. He put the bearing in wrong and I don't know how you can kind of resolve that we have a black mark on our on those engines and i think those engines are fine but if they're built properly well, i think it's just a black mark against experimental aviation in particular and aviation in general 
And it's one thing if you if you screw up your aileron and it's not rigged right, and you have a you know a plane that doesn't fly nicely, and you know it's got a heavy wing or something like that. But you screw up a bearing in the engine, man, that's that's not going to go well. The thing that I keep coming back to is here's another example of uh, a power failure where the pilot is doing their best, and for a variety of reasons that I could I could see myself in the same boat. They, they just don't handle the emergency power off landing properly. In this case, he had turned from a straight-ahead runway alignment. He had turned 20 or 30 degrees off to the left, and uh, a witness said that they thought he was trying to avoid the airport fence. And probably just like many others, in the process of trying to maneuver prior to landing, he lost control of the airplane, probably stalled it, and, uh, and it fell off into a, a very nose-low impact into the ground. And ultimately, that's what... That's what gave him the severe injuries. Um, it's it's that same trend over and over again. We're 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 doing everything right up until the point where you absolutely cannot shave any more margin off. You can't pull back anymore, and then they're losing it. And that's what's ultimately getting them. Yeah, there there's really no excuse for at 200 feet that you can't have a survivable incident. But you may not be able to choose to save your airplane. You know, well, just land land slow, and you're going to hit the tree, or you're going to hit the fence, and uh, you're going to screw up your airplane. But you might you know, you might survive this. Well, this goes back to topics that we've hit several times. If anybody is not mentally prepared for that, they're taking a huge gamble that they're not going to have that skill ready to go when the, when they need it most. And I think it's imperative for all of us. We got to get out there, and we got to condition ourselves to fly the airplane properly and, and you're not going to rise to the occasion. You're going to sink to your training. So you got to get out there and you got to practice it. Yeah. Practicing this, practicing those engine out, um, in the pattern type thing is, is probably the best thing you could do for yourself. Uh, I still do it every time. Uh, you know, I don't get to fly as often as you guys, but, um, cause I rent, but, uh, even me, when I go up and recertify every, you know, 90 days, I, I make sure that when I'm in the pattern, you know, engine out, you know, just 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 to practice it. You know, it's a good thing to do. Well, and as you move into the home builder and getting ready for your uh, your your first test flight, you really need to have that on the the you know right in front of you. I'm going to have an engine failure at 100 feet. I'm going to have an engine failure at 300 feet. I'm going to have an engine failure at 500 feet. As you're climbing out with that new engine that you just built, and what am I going to do at each stage? And then once you get up into the pattern and you're at an altitude that you can do a nice emergency landing, well, then things kind of settle down and you get a little more confidence. But yeah, I agree with you. You just, you know, if you're just renting and you're a, you know, you're just, you know, a pilot on certified aircraft, you're not really thinking about that. It's going to fail at me 200 feet. What am I going to do? Yeah. Well, one of the things that I I really think is important uh, practice wise is to go up and practice accelerated and turning stalls. Um, and I think this this more than anything replicates that base to final sort of I, I really got to crank this airplane around. I got to get it pointed a different direction and developing a feel for what your airplane is going to do when you're really trying to, to crank through a turn and you, and you stall it. You know, is the nose going to drop? Is it going to flip over on a, on, on a wing? You, you got to kind of build that sense of, of what is the very last warning I'm going to get and then how's it going to go. And if you don't do that, um, just the fact that you're in a turn, cranking a little too hard on the elevator, 
when that happens, you may miss the last warning signs and blow right through them until there's there's no recovery. I think you really need to get out there and practice turning and accelerated stalls. Well, it's kind of difficult, though, for the new guy that's got a brand new plane to, to really sometimes know exactly how that particular aircraft's going to feel until he gets enough hours in it. But unfortunately, many times we have you know an early problem before they're able to accumulate any significant hours. Yeah, that's a good point. So um, how do we best prepare ourselves for when you don't have any time in the Sonics? Well, I think you just do it with a, a worst-case scenario. I mean, you're taking off your first time in the Sonics. You haven't any transition training. What's the worst thing I can do? Well, if you're at 200 feet and the engine dies on you, you you must, you must land straight ahead and just maintain airspeed. And that's that's key for any aircraft, but especially one that you've not are not familiar with. You don't have many margins. If you're at 2,000 feet and the engine fails, okay, you can set up for a best glide and figure out, okay, where where can I land? But if you're at 200 feet, your options are very, very limited. The biggest thing, it just comes into the mindset of of, of having to to sacrifice the aircraft. Don't get anything head on, but just sacrifice what you need to. You know, one flight for life helicopter ride is going to way outweigh your your expense that you just tried to save your aircraft. Yeah, absolutely true. And uh, it'll seem like a deal when that airplane crumples around you and you walk away. It'll seem like a pretty good deal at the time. Yeah, I I did talk to the uh, to a a Sonics guy that got injured in a crash and his flight for life um, ride was 70 grand. So, you know, you just, if you can minimize the damage to you, forget about the airplane. Yeah. All right. Well, it, it's important stuff. And uh, we're going to keep hitting these these themes over and over, encouraging people to get out there and really, truly become proficient. Because that's the only, uh, the only safety that we really have is to be proficient and honor games every time we go fly. It's true. Yep. It's just risk management. It's- all right. Uh, so the other thing I wanted to hit real briefly is uh, air traffic control privatization. Have you guys been following this? Oh, uh, like a hawk. Yeah, oh, I know. definitely. It's... 100%. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think we're probably all thinking the same thing. Um, point I uh, I kind of wanted to throw out was the, the House and Senate are, are coming back into session. And um, there, there's very likely going to be a vote sometime this fall after they conference it out and and work out whatever the final iteration is going to be, uh, they're going to be ready to vote on the FAA reauthorization bill. Because the existing one, just like always at the end of the fiscal year, it's coming up due. Um, so if you have thoughts on uh, on the right or the wrong thing to do on, on this privatization issue, we have a very limited window of time to, to engage our congressional reps write letters, call, whatever. I think I've written about three series of letters to my congressional reps. And one of them was the the EAA form letter. I think the other one was um, AOPA had a call to action type thing. Um, And then I just, I logged on and I just sent them personal notes through their websites. Um, I think it's important. uh, We can't afford to just kind of sit back and and see how it shakes out. We got to try to make our wishes known and try to encourage our reps to to come out on, on our side of this issue. Yeah, of the three that I that I petitioned to uh, vote against that bill, one did send back a letter that kind of indicated that he probably was not real favorable for it, saying that many times on trying to privatize government functions, 
he says the the outcome was not particularly effective. So, but the other two, you get kind of back to the blase, you know, thanks for contacting me. We'll take your considerations under advisement, that kind of stuff. So it's always hard to tell exactly which way they're leaning. Uh, the way I feel is in both administrations, the previous one, the current one, there's been a move to privatize air traffic control. And I, I think it's a losing battle. I think we're going to lose this and it's going to go to the airlines and they're going to dictate how we as general aviation participates at a lower tier of priority than, um, than what we currently enjoy. And I'm not happy about it because I fly into a controlled airspace when I go to work. Um, and I think if they're going to charge me a, a landing fee of what, a hundred dollars, you know, to, to use the air traffic control system to get clearance to come into the airport. I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to fly it. Obviously. Now, I do fly out of a, a air park, which we're not controlled, and I'll continue to fly there, but I'm just bug smashing now. I'm not doing, uh, I'm not using my plane as a business. Uh, especially in my area. Um, uh, I, you know, Long Island, we're, we're close to uh, three major class Bravos and a class Charlie. Um, my airport that I fly out of is also uncontrolled, but uh, I'm always asking for flight following just because it's just so darn busy. Um, the airspace, you know, you have the the heavies coming in from from the uh, the east, and uh, it, it can be kind of scary. But we definitely, as general aviation, do not get priority. I mean, there are plenty of times where I get on onto the frequency, ask for uh, flight following, and they just don't even respond, um, just because they're overloaded. They're so busy. So I don't think that privatization is going to help us at all. Uh, if anything, it, I mean, maybe it'll give us a spot on the frequency. But uh, it'll definitely cost us. So I'm I'm not for it. Well, again, we've got a limited amount of time to try to to try to get reps on our side. So whatever we can do, I think uh, it's on us to do it. All right. Well, let's uh, let's jump right into the the main topic here. Tim, I'm gonna kick it over to you. Why don't you give us the uh, the two minute version of your your flying background? Take us up to the point where you started, kind of maybe thinking that a home built was gonna be right for you. Um. All right. Well, uh, yeah, the two minute version. Uh, I've always been interested in aviation. My dad uh, worked for Grumman uh, here on the island, and uh, I've been surrounded by planes since I was probably, I don't know, six years old. Um, worked on the E2C program. He worked on the uh, the B2 in procurement and stuff. So uh, uh, a lot of cool programs. I've always been in love with aviation, but, uh, you know, I was in high school. And uh, 9-11 happened, and it kind of changed the whole climate um, on uh, – I wanted to be a commercial pilot. And, uh, you know, my parents kind of steered me away from that, and I kind of I kind of regret that a little bit. So I, it's always been in the back of my mind. I'm finally in a situation where I could uh, get my license. So I got my private pilot back in 2015, and I've been flying. I probably got maybe 150 hours, so I'm a low time compared to you guys. But uh, – uh, the the whole thing comes down to cost, and uh, it just was it's not cost effective with three children to own a uh, 172 or 152. Uh, so it was it, this is what it, that's why I decided to do the home built route, and then you know then deciding on the kit was a whole different you know whole different situation. But uh, that's where that's where I'm at right now. So when did you kind of first become aware and start thinking about experimental aviation in general as a kid or very recently? No, this is, this is purely a, a, a financial decision, honestly. And, uh, one of the gentlemen that, uh, I'm buddies with at my local airport, um, uh, 
forget exactly what it is. It's a complete home build. It's it's I think it's an RV seven. I want to say. Um, and uh, he told me, yeah, I built it. And it's mostly fiberglass, and that's not the way I wanted to go. But uh, from a cost perspective, I mean, the annuals here are like fifteen hundred dollars without fixing anything on a certified aircraft. So uh, then, and hang your space on top of that. You know, it's you're you're talking a ton of money. And I just can't afford it, but I love to fly. And renting doesn't make sense either if I want to really build some hours up. So, absolutely. Um, you know, everybody. You know, I I think I think many people, the cost of experimental aviation is a big attractant. Um, for me, that's certainly a you know a factor. Think back to when I was renting in a flight club. You know, it's like, what's my monthly budget? How many hours does that buy? It almost seems like, well, why bother? It's just, it's so expensive to even participate. Um, maybe I should do something else. Experimental aviation kind of changes that game. It allows you to really fly at a, at a price that I think most people can actually afford. Right. And I just love the convenience factor, too. I mean, I, I rent out of a, uh, you know, a small airport, um, but there's only two FBOs there and uh, two um, flight companies there, flight flight instructor that uh, rent planes. Um, so it's, you know, availability, the it, everything. It's just, uh, it's it's hard to coordinate things. I just want the freedom of just going to the airport, you know, checking the oil and, and going up there. So, yeah, this seems the most, this seems most cost effective. So you have the freedom to kind of design and build the type of plane that you want. Like, uh, if you're tired of, of renting that 1960s vintage Cessna, <laughs> and every time you go to uh, to light your cigar, you know, and they and they put the no smoking sign on the instrument panel right next to the cigarette lighter, that's really annoying. So, with an experimental airplane, you can have your cigar and fly it, you know, like you used to in the good old days. <laughs> I, I'm just kidding. I'm going to cut that one. Yeah, Jeff, <laughs> I, I've never seen you smoke a cigar, so... Only when I'm flying. Have, I like to do it at night and above 10,000 feet. It yeah. really hits you good. All right. We understand the point, however. <laughs> okay. So, so Tim, you're thinking about experimental aviation. And um, at what point did you kind of feel like the scale was tipping from maybe a possibility to this is something you really want to do? What, what was kind of – how did that happen? Did it happen very quickly or was it a process of thinking about it and sneaking up on it? No, this uh, – believe it or not, um, when I got my license, I was uh, immediately thinking, all right, I want to buy a plane now. And, um, you know, as everybody who gets their license does, they want to go up as much as you can. Um, but then – you know, I started doing the calculations, you know, you put your pro con list, uh, what it's going to cost. And I thought, yeah, joining a club, whatever. But the the decision for me um, to go experimental was only probably within the past six months uh, to actually pull the trigger on it. Because uh, I, what I did was I watched YouTube. Like, I mean, I watched people build their units. I watched your YouTube channel. Um, uh, I've watched YouTube channels building their sonic system. And, uh, I'm like, you know what? I could probably do this. Um pretty technical I, I like to work on my hands and um i said you know what this is something i'm gonna do so then i decided to pull the trigger i'm like you know what let me uh i talked to the wife about it she's like all right well you know if this is what you want to do um it'll be a lot cheaper than renting because so this is uh that's how i came to that decision so yeah so you talked about youtube as as research what other type of like research did you conduct to narrow it down to a sonics um, uh, yeah, so 
the RVs are pretty much eliminated based on cost. I mean, they're they're beautiful planes. I'm sure that everybody loves them. Um, it's just not something I could do. So it was actually narrowed down to the Sonics and the Zenith. And what really concerned me, and maybe it's unwarranted because I'm sure they've addressed it, uh, is the whole, you know, the wings falling off kind of thing. Um, and just hearing people's experiences and just looking at the, the kit itself online. And, and I don't think it's as well built as Sonic's. Um, Sonic seems like it's got a lot of structural redundancy. Um, and I like the whole matching hole kit, which I know Zenith authors now too, but, um, it, it came down to, is this something that I can do? I don't want to fabricate a lot of stuff because I don't have the time or, or the equipment. And, um, the Sonic's just, it actually just made sense. I wanted a low wing too. I was going, you know, I, I learned on a Cessna, but I'm like, I want to change it up. I want to, you know, be able to look when I'm banking into, I want to see the runway and, and stuff. So, um, so the Sonics just meets my mission. I mean, my wife isn't a huge fan of flying, so it's primarily me when I go up and renting. It's usually me by myself. So I wanted something a little fast and it, it honestly just meets everything that I, that I needed. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to do this. Um, it's a family company that from what I've read online, everybody seems to, uh, no complaints with the, the customer service there. Um, but so it was, it was pretty much a, a, a simple decision for me at least. Aside from being low wing, were you, did you have any interest in aerobatics or was there a, a big engine choice that was driving the, the airframe choice as well? Um, I, I didn't want to go certified uh, again. I, I mean, I know I probably sound cheap, but this is a cost thing too. Um, I liked how they offer the ROV, um, even though we discussed at the beginning, you know, you have to build it yourself. I, I think that I could probably have enough resources and mechanically to, to help me with the engine. But um, I, I wanted the cheap and fast, honestly, and a two-seater. How about the aerobatic aspect of it? Was that of any interest to you? Um, not really, only because the, around here, the, the airspace is just so busy. I don't think I'll be able to really do as much aerobatics as I would like to. I mean, it, it's definitely exciting. I would love to do it. Um, but you know, our, our my airport is surrounded by a Charlie, um, uh, Charlie Airport, and then three Bravos just to the west. You know, JFK, LaGuardia, Newark. So um, it's uh, not really the best place to be going up to uh, ten thousand feet and you know yanking a bank. And but uh, I will be doing it at some point, obviously. But well, you get the yank into the uh, wake turbulence of a seven forty seven heavy coming in. You can you can do some aerobatics, <laughs> whether you want to or not. <laughs> you know what? Never thought of that. You know, it should be should be kind of fun then. <laughs> I think for a lot of people, the the aerobatic ability is confidence inspiring. Just knowing that you're not going to break the airplane inadvertently. Right. Yeah, you know, I've got a build experience in both of the models, and I agree with you, Tim, that the Sonics, by and large, is a much more solidly built aircraft, but then again, it's stressed for a lot more Gs because of the aerobatic uh, portion of that aspect of it, whether you use it or not. So, yeah, I agree. It's, it's, a, it's a very tight little plane. Yeah, the thing's a tank. If you if you get hit by a, a nice, you know, bump or turbulence, it's like, well, that's nothing. You have to see what I can do with this thing. <laughs> oh, even just building the tail kit so far, I'm like, it's it's amazing, you know, how solid it feels. So, uh, yeah, I can't wait to fuselage, obviously. So, when you decide on the Sonics, on the decision for the Sonics, was that based purely on on YouTube videos, or had you actually been to Oshkosh and put your hands on something and the models and looked at them? So, it's a funny story. I actually flew up to, um, I flew the Cessna up to um, Minuteman up in Massachusetts and uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Mike Smith up there and uh, he has a Sonics and I was just 
you know, talking to him as I landed and, you know, just hanging out at the airport while I was waiting for my buddy who lives up there. Um, and I just saw it and I'm like, he's got that polished, uh, uh, tail wheel. And I'm like, I, I, I like this thing. Um, it was small, obviously compared to Cessna, but, uh, when he told me that he built it, you know, from scratch himself, uh, I was like, wow, this is really something, something I could do. And that actually spiked my interest into Sonics. I was originally looking at Zenith. Um, and then I, I, I honestly just did more research. And then after talking with him and seeing his plane, I mean, I didn't get to ride in it, but, um, it was a cool little thing. So I'm like, you know what? This is, it kind of solidified my decision to go with, uh, with the home built, uh, experimental route. Well, I too went, uh, I was vacillating between a Zenith, uh, 650 and, uh, Sonics. But what, what tweaked me over towards the Sonic side was the aerobatics because the Zenith don't do that. Right. I, I mean, the aerobatics is definitely a bonus and it shows, you know, like, uh, Gary was saying before that it's structurally able to, to handle it. Um, which makes me feel better whether I do the aerobatics or not, you know, it, it's still a little comfort there. Um, sure. When I made my choice, I I'd actually was looking at a different aircraft. I was thinking more towards the Rands until I went back to Oshkosh around 2007, I believe it was. And then when I stumbled across the Sonics booth, it's kind of like you, like, like I, I did like you, it just kind of got intrigued by the little thing sitting there. It was kind of cute in an ugly sort of way. Uh, I started talking to some of the the people there and they told me how it kind of self jigs when you put it together and how they go about the build process. And then they talked about the ROV engine and, you know, know, I started looking at some power to weight ratios that I had with a previous airplane that I had had. Um, You know, I kind of switched right there at the, at the air show as to what kind of aircraft I wanted. Even before I was leaving the air show, I was already making calls, working on finances and, and, trying to get things squared away so I could order one of those kits as, as quickly as possible. The the aerobatics thing it was just an absolute plus for me. I had not done a lot of it previously. I had a little bit of time in some pits, but that was quite a few years back. So that gave me another idea, too, is, you know, it was a cheap plane. It was something we could maintain ourselves. We could throw in a little aerobatics, just keep from having boredom. And the engine choices at the time just really did fit the budget. And it's still... You're very, very pressed, I think, even now to find a kit that will give you the kind of performance you know, or bang for the buck that Sonics can still provide. Right, exactly. And then when they came out with the Model B, it just, uh, that was it. I mean, I, I had to do it, you know. I'm I'm not a, a, a light frame guy, so, you know, I'm six foot and 240 pounds, so, uh, but I'll be by myself most of the time. Just having the extra room would, will be nice. And it, I think the new Model B looks fantastic you know it's a lot beefier looking so are you, are well, you planning single stick, stick or dual i think they only offer the single in the center um yeah Gary, they're, they've gone with the y stick if you want to do dual control oh, that's yeah it's true on the bs i really haven't yeah. looked at it lately yeah i both uh mike needenthal and i were at the sonics booth and talking to the the sonics reps and they, they kept trying to get us to sit in the, the B model and go, no, we cannot do that. <laughs> because I said, first of all, you have to give us the price list of how to upgrade our plane to the B list before we get in it. Because we will not yeah. sit in that plane until we know what what we're getting into. And so we have never sat in the B, the B model. And I will never sit in the B model. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's just the, the 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 changes they made, you know, making it wider in the panel space. I mean, it just uh, uh, makes things 
it just made well, the decision a lot easier. <laughs> it's it's a prettier airplane, I think. Yeah, with definitely. a wider nose, I think it's it looks a lot better than mine. Well, mine's actually the most prettiest, but uh, the Jeffs. Yeah, the Jets well, are beautiful. Anything that you're not sitting in looks prettier. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tim, you, you touched on the financing part. Let's let's talk about that. So run me through your thought process as you were kind of figuring out the finances behind a project. Oh, yeah. So um, I wasn't, I mean, no offense to EAA if you're listening. I'm sorry. I wasn't impressed with their financing package. Um I didn't like the whole you need to get it done within, you know, two or three years in a certain time frame. And, uh, you know, with three young kids, it's it's I didn't know how long this project is going to take me, actually. So I decided early on that I would be doing this in the sub kit stages. Um, I would do it when I would have the money or, or could at least, you know, throw on a credit card and pay it off that way. Um, I wanted to do it in the cheapest way possible, meaning, you know. Get the zero percent interest on the credit card, pay it off over you know a year or whatever, and and just work from there. And then, uh, what I've been doing is I've been following Sonics, and uh, you know they have their Sun and Fun and Air Venture discount, so I took advantage of that for the fuselage kit um, as well. And, and that's my plan. And if I get the fuselage done, maybe I will finance uh, from that point forward. But they have a lot of requirements. You have to register it. You have to have insurance the entire time. And I knew I wouldn't wouldn't be flying it for a while, and that's just an extra expense I didn't feel like having. So I thought that the best way for me, um, it, it may cost a little bit more over the long run, but the best thing for me with my life situation right now is to finance as as you go, um, do each kit, complete each kit, and then do it that way. Um, who knows? I might regret it, but that's just my mindset when I went into this. And um, there really isn't that many financial packages in terms of loans and uh for experimentals i think uh aopa offers something um but i went with eaa initially and and it just wasn't i'm sure it's a great package for people but it just wasn't it didn't fit in my what what i needed so yeah there's nothing wrong with just dragging it out and uh, and doing it at a pace that makes sense for you i think that's a a great way to go aside from maybe the um the added expense and hassle of of paying for shipping on some relatively large components, um, you know, two or three times, there's really not a lot of difference in the cost. I haven't added up all the subcomponents, but um, it, it, the last time I did that, prior to the B model, the difference in price was only a few percent. Yeah, and then if I have to work extra overtime, I will. <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> that's what I have to do. But uh, it works for us right now, and. Um, you know, I don't have that strain of having to make a monthly payment that's that's huge on an entire frame kit when I, you know, and frankly, I didn't know if I could actually go all the way and, and finish it. So I didn't want to have this huge loan sitting over my head um, only to realize that I have to sell the kit. I mean, there's plenty of people who sell kits out there that, that can't finish them. And right, I just didn't, right. I didn't want to be one of those. So, well, well like what I did, um, I bought the, the kit and about the time I was ready for an engine and avionics. Uh, that was the next big chunk, and that was more than the initial kit was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I went to NAFCO, and NAFCO does all types of financing for airplanes, including experimental airplanes. The nice thing about NAFCO is they would let you use the money that you had paid into the kit as the portion, essentially like the collateral portion uh, of your loan. So rather than having to come up with an additional cash payment, 
to, to be able to secure the rest of the financing. You just show your receipts for what you've already put into it as a percentage of your total estimated kit cost. And that's how I qualified for that. And it was a pretty good interest rate. I think it was around 6%, which, you know, is, is not... It's not too bad. You know, there are some horror stories about outrageous uh, financing options. So that may be a viable option um, when you get to the point that you have to write the last big check to finance the remainder of it. Yeah, I think uh, I think the wings and the engine will probably be one last uh, one last check and then obviously avionics. But <laughs> that's the last thing, right? We always do that last. So last, last, last thing. Yeah, because that keeps changing, and who knows? By the time I'm ready, it might be just iPads with that um, that box you guys were talking about at AirVenture. So, uh, might just be an iPad on the on the panel there. Who knows? We'll see. Oh yeah, I think yeah, definitely wait on avionics because it's we are in such a the the edge of a huge change in the way avionics are going to be um, offered for experimental. So. Um, Tim, you also talked about trying to balance all of your different needs, um, you know, work and family and all that. So, so tell me how you sorted all that out. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I work, um, I work as a nurse at a, at a hospital. So I work overnights usually, um, primarily, and, uh, I have a, uh, a seven month old and, uh, twin four and a half year olds. So uh, life is a little busy, um, to say the least, but, um, I just do it as I go. I mean, if, if the kids are out playing in, in the garage, I mean, in the, in the driveway, I'll go out to the garage. I'll do, you know, some Clicos, some rivets. And then, um, I told my wife from the beginning, that this wasn't going to be something that was going to take me away from the family. Um, it's just going to be a fun little project for me. And, um, having that understanding with her initially, cause she was a little concerned, obviously that I would sit out there and burn all my time and not spend any time with the family or whatever. But, um, you know, you have to you have to go into this knowing, you know, it's not going to be eight hours a day every day in the garage and busting it out. But uh, I, I do it as I go. And, and then being nocturnal as I am working nights, I, I the family's asleep. I could go out there. I could work for a couple hours. And I think that's probably why I busted through the tail kit so quickly. I, I was surprised at how fast that went. Um, but uh, just balancing it is 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 the key, and not getting burnt out either. You know, I got really frustrated when I screwed up that control surface on the rudder, and uh, yeah, I didn't want to look at it for a day. But um, you, you get back on the horse, you know. You just well, Tim, yeah. I don't really want to bust your bubble too bad, but unfortunately, all the tail kits are the easiest part. They all go together really quickly. So, oh, okay. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of, it's kind of a motivating marketing ploy. Uh, but it does uh, it's, taste good taste, though. But yeah, they all pretty knock, knock out pretty easy. And I have to say that you will have bigger mistakes, a lot bigger mistakes, and you will become numb to them. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a good marketing ploy because as soon as I was like uh, working on the 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 last skin on the uh, horizontal stabilizer, I'm like, wow, this is this is how the whole plane's going to go. But, uh, <laughs> apparently, apparently, that's not the case. So. <laughs> yeah, it's like one of those. One of those skills when you talk about, they try to tell you how you have to drill out. You know, if you have a bad rivet, you have to drill it out. And you, you think you might need to practice that ahead of time. Don't worry. You're going to get plenty of practice as you build it. <laughs> yeah, you'll be drilling out more rivets than you feel, feel that you set. And, and don't be too hard on yourself for little mistakes because there have been builders out there who have rebuilt control surfaces 
who have rebuilt their their tail surfaces. Entire. Week. And I know of at least one. Yeah, at least one builder <laughs> who built a third wing because one of his wings was totally messed up and unusable. So. No matter what you do, somebody has probably already done worse. Yeah. <laughs> and Car- Carl bought a whole nother tail section because his previous builder really screwed up it, the one that he bought. So I was just going to say, and that tail, um, <laughs> that tail was uh, you know well built and looks great on his airplane too. So it was easy to recover. He just had to write a check. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm thinking about buying it and just putting it putting it on my mailbox, <laughs> the old go. one. It's great, though, if you're building in your house. I, I think that's one of the best things that any builder can do is you want something there in, in the garage, even if it's a single-car garage, that you can just simply walk out there and, and start pounding away and doing things. When you have to go back and forth to airports, and sometimes those are frequently very, very far away, you start to procrastinate a little bit, saying, well, I'll wait till I get a little bit more time to go out there and do things, rather than just doing something for even 10 or 15 minutes to set a bolt or check up plans or measure something or cut one piece of metal. So having your garage is really the best way to get started. Yeah, I'm pretty blessed with the uh, a two car garage, although it's probably a one car garage with all the kids' bikes and toys and everything else that's in there. But uh, you know, I tell them this is my little space. And, uh, oh, you have you know, a zero car garage. Yeah, but you well now I do. Yeah. Work build area. <laughs> well, if you saw my videos, my, you know I've had a couple motorcycles in there, a dog, and all kinds of other stuff too. It gets always pretty tight. If you need to take the dog in the house. Come on, Gary. We've talked yeah, about yeah, this. <laughs> so, you, did, you know, I did like you did. I would do my tail first. And then I thought about I did mine. And a lot of us do is do our wings next. Because those are big items that you can put onto a wing rack and then shove them out of the way someplace. Because once you start doing that fuselage, then it just sits there and there's really nowhere to put it. So kind of that's think true. about your build sequence as to what you want and how you want to go about doing it. But that's pretty much what I recommend. Yeah, wings you can hang from the rafters. Pretty easily, out of the way and, and safely. But the fuselage, you can. Yeah, I didn't really think of that. I guess. <laughs> oh well. Right. Yeah, but the fuselage looks like an actual airplane part, and that'll keep you going for a long time. And if you get the the cockpit done, you can sit in it and make airplane noises, which will motivate you. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, can't wait. <laughs> You'll spend most of your time on the fuselage. The wings will go in, in a snap when you get to that point. Yeah, especially with the spars. Uh, apparently, they're pre-built now, so I don't have to worry about you know bang it with the uh, their bolts and stuff. But uh, so hopefully it goes quick. But I mean, I know the fuselage is probably going to take forever. Well, so where's the sport in that if you're not banging <laughs> rivets? Yeah, it's like a rite of passage. Yeah, it's like you know if you don't use a sledgehammer to make an airplane. I mean, where, yeah, where do you get at? A big bolt? Yeah, we just get a bigger hammer. It's more fun that way. Yeah. I'll have to talk to Mark. Maybe maybe they'll send it out to me on on me. <laughs> yeah, convince him to you know to, to screw some parts up so you get the full experience. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, at least send a send a packet of those rivets and some pieces to to at least hammer together. Say I know what I did, what what it took. All right, so um, Tim, uh, talk about the impression you got when you cracked open the plans. And you're looking at the the technical details and drawings and all that for the very first time. It's typically pretty overwhelming. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and one of the first things that I worked on, I screwed up. Uh, <laughs> uh, looking at the plans, it was not that it's confusing, but it's just a lot of information on one page. And um, and I know that that Sonics, from what I've heard, from what I've heard, actually has the uh, some of the best plans in the market. So I mean that 
that makes me feel better. But um, just trying to understand, you know, am I doing it on this side or the other side? It was a little overwhelming. Uh, it took me probably solid two or three days just to read through them and be like, okay, okay, I could do this. Um, and then the first part I did, I screwed up. So um, I looked at my plans for months. I did mine for two weeks. I got them ahead of time and just kind of sat out there because you're right. I, I really, really like their plans, the best ones I've seen so far. You know, I like the way it takes you from, you know, the rear of the book and you start making little parts and they tell you where those little parts are going to go next, and, you know, even if it's pages away. And I just like the way the domino effect of that really went. But, yeah, it, it took me – I spent quite a few time, quite a few hours just sitting there looking at plans, looking at plans, trying to figure out their nomenclature and how, and how their organizational table was going. And I think if you spend a little time of that up front and look at that building tree up there in the front part of the books – um, it gives you some invaluable information and insight in what's going to be going on. Yeah. I mean, I was on the living room floor with the plan spread out and my wife's looking at this and she's like, you're really doing this. Like <laughs> this is, this looks confusing. I'm like, yeah, it's a little confusing, but then, you know, once you get into the hang of it and, uh, you know, start on it, it's, it's actually not that bad. Um, you know, my mistake was I just put the uh, the control surface on the wrong side when I cut it. So I'm like, oh, great, you know, but seventy dollar mistake. But you know what? I learned, and uh, you you're know, gonna just, do it again. Yeah, I probably will. <laughs> <laughs> but don't feel bad. I just you know, a couple weeks ago dropped a wing and had to replace a aft outboard spar and a top skin. So uh, it happens. <laughs> that's it's all part of the experience, right? So, yeah, it is. I've often said that, you know, one of the tricks to, to building Sonics is, is just knowing what's important and what's not important. You can spend a lot of time just, just stressing over these little small unimportant details. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, you can just breeze over very important details and underappreciate how, um, you know, the significance of that is. If you can sort that piece out, you're going to be well on your way to, to, to keeping the pace up. Yeah, that's it's it's been a learning experience. That's all I could say is that um, just just going through it nice and slow. I you know, I built a small little plans table now, so I just go out there even if I don't do anything in the garage, and I just go out there and look at all right. This is the next part I have to do, and um, yeah, just reading it and uh, understanding it. Um, but yeah, it's it's becoming a little bit easier for me now. Obviously, yeah, that's absolutely the way to go. Just do a little something, no matter what it is ordering a part, reviewing the plans, you know, cogitating and thinking about your next plan of attack. And Sonics has been super helpful too. I mean, they, they respond to their emails within, I would sometimes even hours. So, uh, I have to say that they've been, they've been very helpful. Well, you got to give Kerry a pat on the back every now and then. Cause, um, he's, uh, he's pretty good at what he does, but, but, uh, sometimes, um, he can't make everybody happy. And uh, the fact that he makes as many people happy is a testament to uh, his patience. <laughs> yeah. I'm absolutely amazed that Kerry is such a nice guy having to do the job he has to do. Yeah, I can't wait to get out to Oshkosh and actually meet these people, you know, face to face. Yeah. Kerry is, he's really cool. I mean, you'll love him. So, um, Tim, um, as far as um, options and, and the things you think you're going to add, those little customizations, configuration. Tell me, tell me, kind of how you see this thing all playing out. Um, my major mission, like like you originally said, the, the mission is I want a plane that can, you know, I could go across countries with. And I know Sonics wasn't originally made for that, but um, 
you know, going out to Block Island for breakfast. Yeah, I love the $100 hamburgers. That's going to be great, too. But I also want to do the, the trips out to Oshkosh and down to Florida or Georgia. And, um, I mean, watching Aaron Knight's videos, he does crazy stuff. I mean, he went down to the Bahamas with his kids and his Sonics. Um, so I want to do stuff like that. Um, so I'm, I, my main thing is I'm just going to make it so that I could do cross countries. I want it to be nice and comfortable. I'll probably add some extra foam and stuff. And um, I want a basic panel i'm not going to go crazy with all the glass maybe you know ipad on the right side and then you know an mgl seven or ten inch whatever is available at the time when i'm ready and then just uh you know have lights and stuff i want landing lights i want to be able to do night flying with it um i just want it to be mine you know you're gonna need the speed cow and uh toe brakes (laughs) absolutely i want the toe brakes absolutely 100 (laughs) percent Uh, I mean, coming from the Cessna, that's all I've learned on, obviously. So, um, so yeah, we'll we'll be talking about that, John. Okay. I don't think the speed cal will work on a B model. I think, uh, John, I think you need to get a B model and, and refine that. Oh, I that that is a challenge that I would definitely take up. <laughs> I have to say, I like the side uh, vents on the, the the cal that that Sonics is offering for the B model. Oh, the the, the, the what they call is a Lambo or the. Louvered, yeah, louvered, yeah, yeah. That looks yeah, those look cool. I do like those. But I kind of want to do the forced air um, cooling like you do in yours, Jeff. You know, in the panel having the uh, the scoop on the side. I guess that's a van scoop, and just 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 a basic custom. I'm not going crazy with that. I just want it to be comfortable and and have a good time out there. Those are mods you do after you get flying. Yeah. Well, and and you want to. You have a vision of where you want to go and then work to, to, to get there. Don't allow yourself to stall out because you think maybe you'll add one more thing or just one more thing. Um, you know, your kids are young, but you're going to want to take advantage of as much time as possible to fly with them. Don't turn it into a 10 year build. And then, you know, you only catch the tail end. Right. No, I want to get it done and, uh, yeah, keep it simple. That's, that's my theory on this. I'm not going to go crazy with it. So we talked a little bit about um, having that conversation with, with your wife and how you, how you balance your time. But, but what else did you do to build support from family and friends and, and uh, you know, things like that? Um, well, I mean, working at the hospital, uh, I, you know, I brought it up to some of my friends at work and they think I'm absolutely nuts. And I, I don't think that many people knew that you could even build a plane. They're like, so it, it's, you're into model airplanes now. I'm like, no, this is an actual plane. I'm going to sit in and fly. And, um, my wife was more enthusiastic than some of my, like my mom wasn't that crazy about it. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, you know, it's just going to fall apart. I'm like, no, that they built it. It's hard to explain to people who, who a have no concept of aviation and then B have no concept that you can build your own plane. So I, I mean, I sent them to Sonics's website. I ended up making my own website and trying to explain it on there. Um, it, my sister. That's a lost cause. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 been actually it's been pretty difficult. And then um, trying to garner support from the family. Um, some people like you have three young kids. You're being selfish, and I'm like, it's it's been a it's been some conversations. But I think ultimately, once they're seeing how it's built, you know, in the garage, involving them. You know, look how strong this is. Look at how, you know, close these rivets are and you can't pull it apart. Like, um, 
I took a scrap piece of metal and I put two rivets through it. I said, try to pull them apart. You can't, um, to my wife. And she's like, wow, that's pretty cool. So once, once I actually started on the project, it was easier for me to, to get a little bit more support, but trying to explain it. I mean, they just think that you need to go into a mental institution because, (laughs) (laughs) um, a, they thought I was crazy when I went for my pilot's license, but then on top of it, you want to build a plane, you know, it's, yeah, they're really thinking about committing me, but, uh, it's, yeah, but well, that website is actually going to pay off because that's a way you, you help them connect with how you see the project. You're seeing it as a, a really fun, rewarding, challenging endeavor, and, and they need to see that through your eyes, and your website is going to help you do that. Right. It's just it's been so much fun with my son. I mean, my son's four and a half. So I mean, they he he's doesn't have all the technical knowledge, but he loves being out there hanging out with me. And I I've found it so far it's been a pretty awesome project. Um, obviously, it's only the tail kit, but um, but yeah, trying to garner support from the family, I think it's a lost cause. I just you know laugh it off and be like, hey, you know, just go yeah. to the website. And I don't want to bother get it. me. Right. You're not going to get it. You need to to move on with with what you want to do. And yeah, you, you kind of, uh, you know, smooth over the, the, Oh my God, you're an idiot. <laughs> so. I got a lot of those. <laughs> well, what, what you do is you show that not cut corners. You're going to, you're going to take your, your level of craftsmanship seriously, and you're going to do absolutely everything you need to, to ensure that it's a well-built airplane. And if you can show them that that'll start to assuage their fear that, things are going to happen despite your effort. Show them that you're really on this and you've got a logical plan to deliver a safe airplane. And a a lot of misconception is they think you're engineering it and you're really not, you're assembling it. Right. And so if you follow it to their directions, it's no different than building an Ikea, you know, Ottoman. Right. Well, you could fly it. And, and I explained to them, you know, the FAA inspects it at the end and they're not going to let you do something that's unsafe. And, uh, you know, you have to document everything. And, and I even showed, I brought my mom over, I showed the plans and she's like, wow, it's really, it's really technical. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's building a plane, you know, but, um, I, I found that most of the pushback that I've gotten has, has kind of went away now that they actually see that I'm serious and it's not something you do overnight that it's going to take a while and, you know, the time also makes people think, oh, wow, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty serious. It's not, it's not just a slap it together type of model kit. All right, Gary, when you were, um, when, when you were starting your first home built, uh, how did you kind of sell the project to your family and friends and all that? Well, I agree. You get all the same kind of thing. First of all, they, don't, they can't believe that you can actually build an airplane yourself. I you know, just took a trip to Ukraine, as you guys remember, and we met some of my wife's friends over there, and they kind of found out I was a pilot and I was building an airplane, and they got the same thing, too. What model? I mean, little model, remote controls, that kind of thing, and you know, we started mm-hmm. talking about sitting in one, and they still didn't quite grasp it until I started breaking out my iPad and showing the pictures. And this one guy, the host, just, like, he would sit quiet for a few minutes while we were at the dinner table. And then he'd ask another question about it. He says, you're really building a real plane? And it kind of, it, it took him like several times to actually get that to sink through his head. And, and his final comment says, man, I was born in the wrong country. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think a lot of people are are blown away, but they're, they're very impressed. You know, they're, you know, I think that they would like to be able to do that also, or to have the confidence to jump in and, and tackle something as big and serious as that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
the family things always it can always be an issue. I mean, they're, they're, you know, it depends. Every every relationship's different. You know, there may be some problems with money and and concerns about who's getting what portion of what and whether it's a useful cause or not. But you know, I, I can just all I can say is in in my hindsight and in hindsight and perspective, it's it's one of the, it's, it's probably the best thing I've ever done in my life. It's uh, as I said many times before, when I'm flying, it's really the only true time I feel at ease and comfortable. Uh, even if I'm doing aerobatics, I mean, I'm not thinking of anything else, I'm not worried about work or financial issues, family issues. It gives you your sense of space and peace. Because uh, as you know, aviation is fairly a, a, a private event, even though you might have a four or six seater most time you're by yourself. Uh, and, but take advantage of that. Uh, it can be a real soul-saving experience. You know, if you can get your family involved into it, that's great. But just by the fact that you're doing something that you might have a true passion for, I think that's going to spill over and they're going to get some side benefits from that as well as you just being a happier and more fulfilled person. I just uh, reconnected with my uh, my old college roommate from 30 years ago. And uh, he said, so I see on Facebook that you built your own airplane and you fly it. And I said, yeah. And he said... That is something that is not, I, I'm not absolutely surprised about because you were that way, um, you know, 30 years ago. So it, it, it is something that's just kind of ingrained in us is like, we're, we're pioneers. We're, we're not going to just sit in our Cessna or Cirrus. We're going to go build our own airplane and go fly it. Right, and just having that ability to customize it the way you want. I mean, you know, you don't have to go through I don't through know anything the... about customizing a model. For, uh, <laughs> uh, no, you know, I'm definitely plans built and just straight, straight I'm sorry, yeah, I'll shut up. <laughs> yeah, but in all seriousness, um, you know, these are large projects. They take a huge degree of organization and commitment, and you got to really be able to, to organize your project and make progress on a on some sort of schedule and see it to completion. That's hugely rewarding when you get done with it and you're enjoying the result of all that effort. Very, very rewarding. And I think that a lot of us agree that it, it, it really changes your enjoyment of aviation having gone through that. Well, you know, <clears throat> this morning I pulled my plane out of the hangar, fired it up, took it out for a, you know, 40 minute flight down to, to Colorado Springs and then just the the traffic pattern was too full for me to land and go talk to my buddies so I just came back home. I really just enjoyed the tranquility and the the solitude of sitting in the plane I built flying back. And it was like, wow, this is this is really cool. Plane's running great, everything's running good, and I'm uh I'm in my zone. Yeah, I mean even just renting you know, by myself in a 172, um, you know, just going up, just even the pattern, just, just doing stuff in the pattern, being up there and just looking down on everybody, you know, pilots have been looking down on everybody. Uh, and it's just a great feeling. Um, and I can't wait to just do that on a more regular basis and in my own plane and just, you know, I can't wait for the long cross countries. Honestly, I can't do it with the rental. It's just too darn expensive, but uh, that's what I really look forward to, and I look forward to Oshkosh and the fly-ins and whatnot. I mean, that's my motivation. I just want to—I want to be up there and up in the air and get it done and have a good time. Well, get it out here to Colorado, and I'll get you some mountain experience. Absolutely, 
might need the turbo out there, right? Oh no, you don't. You don't have the turbo, right, Gary? No, I didn't. I put over six hundred hours in mine. Not all of in the mountains, obviously, but I've got videos yeah. up there crossing the Continental Divide at fourteen five. So That's yeah, awesome. Gary typically flew two thousand feet below me when we went through the mountains. Wow. That's awesome, though. All right, Tim. Let's uh, let, let's close this thing out. So, this is your chance. They say that confession is good for the soul. <laughs> so, so what are you most worried about at this point? Because I'm sure Gary has got a solution for you. So, confess your innermost fear on your project. Looking forward. Honestly, I'm I'm, I'm most scared about. Um, what I'm going to do when I, when I'm, I have to pick the power plant. I mean, I'm, and running out of money. Those are my two big concerns is, is not having the funds to actually finish this. And then, you know, what am I going to do about the engine? Um, the avionics that's simple, but that's, that's what scares me the most is I don't want to get so involved in this and then not be able to finish it. So lack okay. of uh, completion would probably be my biggest fear. Did you know, I'm also a nurse. Oh, really? Yeah. For about 40 years. So oh, congratulations. You know, one, one of the good thing about nursing is, you know, you can get a job just about anywhere. So, you know, I'm sure that if you've got this kind of commitment, if you need to pull an extra shift or two, you won't have any difficulty getting it. That's true. Yeah. There's always and, overtime in nursing. <laughs> yeah. and, and Gary always knows where to put this finger to make us the most painful. <laughs> I do. You'd be surprised what I can do to you. Oh, no, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I, I did some of that life flight stuff before. I can get you a really good bill. <laughs> And uh, kidneys get lost all the time, right, Gary? So it's just yeah, one yeah. kidney away from, from an engine. We consider them factory spares. You don't need them all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Two kidneys, you got a UL power. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. All right. And then uh, the last question, Tim, um, uh, what, what are you looking forward to on your next phase? So we got your darkest fear. What's your, what's your, what's your biggest anticipation? Honestly, I cannot wait to, you know, put my son in, in the seat with me in the garage and make airplane noises I, and have my wife record it because, uh, you know, it starts looking like a plane. That's uh, I can't wait for it to actually. I mean, the tail looks like a plane and my wife's like, wow, that's that's pretty cool. But once the fuselage is done and, and we're sitting in it, that's uh, I'm really looking forward to that. So you're right. Well, I think that's always the don't, key experience for us all is when the fuselage is on the gear and we can actually sit in it, even if there's nothing else attached to it. But the mere fact that you can sit on it on wheels is is just kind of like a pinnacle event. Yep. No, you have to have the control sticks installed if you're <laughs> going to do that. I, I just stick my hands out and flap. <laughs> so, Tim, j just keep that vision in your head. And when you start to stall out, when you're uncertain, that's what you use to keep you going. You just got to drive yourself forward relentlessly. You got that vision, keep it in mind and just go after it. Yeah, definitely. All right, guys. Um, Gary, any final thoughts? Uh, just like Tim's already agreed, you know, you got it and you got it at your house. So you, you've got access to it easy. Uh, do something every day, no matter how small you think it is, because it's all those little, little tiny steps that take all the hours. So it's just plugging away, plugging away, plugging away, and you're going to get there sooner than you think. All right. And John, I know you got at least one more bit of advice. Well, he already said that he wants, he's looking forward to sitting in, in the cockpit with his son making airplane noise as well. The, the driving force was sitting in the, the airplane with my son as the co-pilot. 
and flying to Oshkosh. So it can happen. It happened with me, and it was awesome. And and I'm just reminded of uh, of one of my uh, my kids' favorite movies, Zoolander, where <laughs> if you haven't watched it, you got to go watch Zoolander. But where he's being brainwashed in his uh, relaxation health spa, and they're telling him ignore all the distractions of the beautiful people and uh, and stay on mission. So that's what I say: just ignore those distractions, get the thing done, and get to it. That's uh, awesome advice, and I. Uh... I just want to thank you guys for inviting me on the on the program, and uh, I mean I've I've listened to all of your all the the podcasts, and it's it's been really helpful, especially the rivets. And I when I reached out to Jeff initially, I said you know the podcast you did on the rivets immediately helped me um, when I started the tail kit. And uh, if you guys want to follow along, you know go to my website n three zero seven tw dot com, and uh, I really appreciate it. And, you know you guys are awesome. You know, I think our contact information is on the Sonics Builders websites too. So if you ever needed to contact us, you know, just ask us an opinion or, uh, you know, shoot the bull, you know, feel free to give us a call. Awesome. We'll do. And Tim, I'll put a link to your, your builder blog in the show notes. Um, I went out there and had a look and uh, I like the way you laid it out. It's, um, it, it's, it's kind of got a fresh look and it's engaging and uh, I'm going to enjoy seeing more pictures of that fuselage build going on there. Thanks a lot, Jeff. I appreciate it, man. All right, well, I got one quick shout-out as we close out, and uh, this one goes out to Robert Barber. So uh, you guys probably were tracking his um, his engine issue where his prop broke off of his crankshaft, and uh, he was um, he, he got the plane down safely, and very little damage done to the, to the cowling when the prop departed. But to his credit, he didn't waste any time at all. I mean, he got right back on it. He got a new prop flange and a new prop. And fixed up his cowling and it seemed like just a few weeks after he had that incident he's back in the air so robert good job getting back at it uh don't let a little thing like you know a catastrophic prop failure uh keep you down so or losing multiple canopies only one he only <laughs> lost one canopy come on he is fearless though and that and i respect that <laughs> robert barber is my mentor he is unbelievable <laughs> I love the man. Yeah, they're good guys. We've hang out with quite a bit, quite a few different places. We're going to see him at Reclaw this year again, so uh, maybe I we'll uh, so. we'll do an on the spot uh, podcast from Reclaw, and, and Robert can tell us all his um, all his war stories. Sure. Oh, can you imagine a podcast from from Reclaw? We're going to have to bleep out a bunch of stuff. That's all right. There's always the vault. You know, it can end up uh, half of it in the in the lost episode vault. Okay. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, hey, good talking to you. Um, it's always fun. Tim, thanks for coming on. Um, appreciate your thoughts. I think this is going to be really relevant for people that are that are kind of hovering on a decision, seeing it from your perspective, being, uh, being freshly right out of that zone. I think it's going to make an impact on them. When we talk about it, that's, that's way in the rearview mirror. But for you, I really appreciate that perspective. So thanks for coming on. Thanks for running through it. No problem. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and thanks for just being upfront about some of those things that were on your mind. I think that's really helpful. For everybody else, um, you can catch uh, the show notes for this episode at sonicsflight.com slash 24. You can subscribe to Sonics Flight through iTunes, Google Play, or or your favorite podcast app. And uh, we have a whole slew of very, very cool topics coming up. So we're going to keep cranking these out. 
I think we're down to about 40 topics and, and maybe a few others that are kind of on the back burner. But we got a lot of things to talk about, and it's going to be a fun year going ahead. And with that, thanks again, guys. Really enjoyed it. And I will definitely uh, plan to see you guys at Reclaw this year. Yep. All right. We're planning it. Hey, and, and John, I'm going to want that uh, eclipse report next time we talk. Well, right now, we uh, we failed on getting uh, reservations at Alliance, Nebraska to land and take a view of the eclipse from the runway. So we're planning on just refueling in uh, Sydney, Nebraska and launching to the clearest sky that we can intercept the, inter- the uh, eclipse and fly through it and try to chase it. It's, it runs at 1,500 miles an hour. So we figure we can get an extra, what, three or four seconds of eclipse if we run downwind of it. And so <laughs> Carl and I are, are shooting for it. So what I want to know is if the shadow of the eclipse is coming at 1,500 miles an hour, yeah. is it going to make a sonic boom as it approaches you? Well, since it's not displacing air, no, it won't. <laughs> but we'll, we'll make the sonic boom on our YouTube videos. I think that I, you're going to be in the air, and I think you're going to feel like a shockwave hit you in the air. It's going to be like a rumble that overtakes you. People I work with say that we're going to land in, in 1850. So, you know, something's <laughs> going to happen while we go through this. That's the plan, is we're going to fly through the center of the, the eclipse. Good deal. I want to see that video. All right, guys. Great talking to you, and uh, we'll see you next time. All right. Good night, guys. Bye. The views and opinions expressed on the Sonic Select podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of any individual, company, or organization mentioned on this program. Nothing presented on this podcast should be construed to be the official position or recommendation of anyone not directly associated with Sonic's Flight. Anything that sounds like advice should be carefully considered before being implemented. Remember, you are the pilot in command.